0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: What a privilege to see you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. We're together again. We're together again. We're on the right path, pointed in the right direction. And I just believe it won't be long. We'll all be back together whole. Amen. But in the meantime, aren't you glad that we've made it this far? And the hand of God has kept his hand upon us, strengthened us. What a tremendous presence in our first service this morning. That same presence is here right now. Amen. We've tapped into the same vein. We are pulling from the same well today. I'm honored to have Brother Doug Smith with us. His voice has been a voice of consistency even in the midst of our time. And I appreciate uh, his ability and willingness to help us and and, uh, send videos to preach to us and minister to us and I'm thankful for that. We consider him a great friend and just want him to come today and take his liberty in the Lord. Amen. Let's make him welcome. Would you do that, Brother Smith? God bless you.
2: Praise the Lord, everybody. Psalm 30 and 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And I feel the joy of the Lord here today. And it is such a privilege to be with each and every one of you. We just count it a great honor. Uh, Thankful that we were with you virtually. Thank God we're here physically in the house of the Lord. There's just no substitute for church. And we just love each and every one of you so very much. We are so thankful for Pastor and Sister Boyd and their kindness and blessing in our lives through this coronavirus. And I know this church is thankful for great leadership in times of difficulty. And so we love the Boyd family so much and we love each and every one of you. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of Jude just one chapter in the book of Jude and we're going to find our text in verse number 20 and we're going to read down to verse number 23. I do want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife and son Shiloh and I told the first service today that she's had to put up with me in quarantine and talk about the trial of your faith. She's been going through the trial of her faith but I love my family so much, grateful for what God has done for us. Here in the book of Jude, in this 20th verse, the scripture tells us this, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Here verse 22 says that there will be some that will have compassion, and they'll make a difference. Verse 23 says they'll even go so far to pull them out of the fire. I want to preach to us this morning on this subject. The church is pulling for you. The church is pulling for you. Can we lift our hands? Can we raise our voices? Let's pray together. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, In the name of Jesus, we are thankful for each and every individual that is here. God, we're praying that your spirit would minister to every heart. Let the word of God illuminate our minds and our understanding. God, let it come clearly. Let it be concise and let it speak to our souls. God, we give you praise and thanks for what you are doing in our midst, even right now. In the name that demons tremble at, the name that angels bow down in reverence, the name that causes men to rejoice in Jesus name. Amen. you may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Well you and I are living in such a peculiar moment of time. It seems like now more than ever there is an uncertainty about, The future, each morning when the sun rises and the day begins, we are faced with an unpredictability about what will happen next. And because of this, it can make our lives more difficult, more challenging and more trying because there is a new normal that we are trying to adapt to every single day. And we are faced with a list of unknowns, an unknown cure for the virus, unknown job security, unknown certainty of travel, unknown guarantee of our safety, unknown unity among politicians, unknown plan of what's going to happen state by state and place by place. And through all of that, it can lead to frustration. And this frustration can begin a sense of comfortlessness and helplessness and hopelessness. Yet through all of the problems and through all the adversity, there is a church. There is a church that is sure, it is steady, and it is steadfast. It is a church that's bigger than a building, but it's a church that can rise to the occasion every single time. It's a church that knows how to be comforting during a crisis. A church that can be encouraging during an epidemic. A church that can be durable during a disaster. A church that can be unstoppable when all else is unstable. A church that is relentless during a recession. And a church that can be powerful during a pandemic. It's the church of the living God. This church is solid. This church is secure. This church is steadfast. And it almost baffles the world, leaves them in amazement and surprise how the church can be optimistic when everyone else is pessimistic. How is it that those in the church can have peace when everyone else has worry? How can those in the church have joy when sadness is prevailing on every kind of forefront? How is it that the church can have a positive outlook when all you hear is negativity on the news, on the uh, newspaper, on the radio, on television, on the internet, on apps, on every website, yet the church still can have a positive mindset. It is because our power and our strength and our hope does not lie in ourselves. Our hope is not in our abilities, our accomplishments, or our accolades. Our hope is not found in our insight, our intelligence, our ingenuity. Our hope is not in our propensity, our proficiency, or our productivity. Our hope is not in our efficiency, our education, or our expertise. Our hope is not in our mastery, our means, or our money. But Colossians 1.27 tells us, it's Christ in you. The hope, of glory, First John four and four says, "Greater is He that lives in you than He that is in the world." The Apostle said in Philippians four and thirteen, "I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." Hebrews 6 and 19, it says it is the hope that's the anchor for our soul. This hope anchors us down, keeps us strong when we feel weak, lifts us up when we are lowly, empowers us when we don't have the power inside. It is a hope that is not of this world. One songwriter said the world did not give it and the world cannot take it away. It's a hope that we know in the good times and in the bad times He's right there. It's a hope that when I'm up or when I'm down, He's still there. Oh, it's a hope that Hebrews 13 and 5 says He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. The 8th verse says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today And forever. He's a God that does not change. He does not falter. He does not fail. He does not disappoint. He does not leave us by ourselves. He does not desert us. He does not abandon us. He does not leave us high and dry. But wherever we are at, we can rest assured and know he will be right there. Huh? He's God. He's the same in Mark 9 and 2 when we're on the mountaintop. And He's God, 1 Kings 20 and 28, not just of the hills, not just of the mountains, but He's a God of the valley. He's God, Mark four thirty nine. when the storms of life are raging. He's God, Daniel 6 and 22, when we're in the lion's den of persecution. He's God, Daniel three twenty five. when we're in the fiery furnace of our trial. He's God, Exodus 16 and 10, when we're wandering in a wilderness, of worry. He's God Exodus 3 and 1 when we're alone, when we're in isolation, when we're in quarantine, when we feel like we're on the backside of the desert removed from society. He's still right there with us. Wherever we may be we have a hope. We have a promise. We have a confidence that He is still right there because throughout the scriptures and over and over again in the word of the Lord, we find moments that the church faced tremendous persecution, times where the days were dark and long, and they were unsure and uncertain of what was going to happen next. In Acts, the 12th chapter, it tells us that there was a great, Persecution happening. James, the brother of John, had been killed and had been martyred. Now, to make matters worse, the king went for his number one target. He found the apostle Simon Peter, cast him into jail, locked him in prison. Uh, Peter, the one that Jesus told, Blessed art thou, Simon bar Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. The one that Jesus said, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, the one who preached on the day of Pentecost, standing up with the other disciples. Peter is the one who proclaimed the salvation message in Acts 2, 38, when he said, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter, the one who led the charge of 3,000 being converted in one single day. Peter, the one who told us we all have the same promise, regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, regardless of our nationality. The promise is unto you. The promise is unto your children. It's unto all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It was that same apostle who boldly proclaimed when he was brought before the rulers and the magistrates. And they asked and they wondered how he was able to stand. How was he able to heal? And it was Peter that spoke in Acts 4.12 and said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It was that same Apostle Peter now who found himself in a jail cell. It was that same disciple who now had chains on his hands, and shackles on his feet, and whose bed was the concrete floor of that cell. It seemed like all hope was being taken away. No doubt he was wounded and he was weary No doubt he was distressed and he was down on his luck. But through all of this, Acts chapter 12 and verse number 5 says that prayer was made without ceasing by the church of God. Even though it was ugly, even though it had gotten vicious, even though it had gotten bad, the Bible tells us there was a church that still knew how to pray. Can I encourage us this morning? Don't discount the power of your prayer. Even when they couldn't gather together like normal, even when they couldn't have the apostle preaching to them, the church still knew how to pray. They still knew how to find a prayer closet that praying mama that praying daddy still knew how to call on the name that's above every other name they knew how to call on the name of Jesus and the church was praying and as the church was praying the word of the Lord tells us that something unusual began to take place while Peter was sound asleep There was a light that began to shine. And when this light began to shine in the jail, he looked up and on the left side, one of the guards fell. And when he looked to the other side, the other guard fell. Then when he looked up, he saw standing before him an angel. This angel from God who had a light that blinded the guards. That angel said, Peter, arise up quickly. Now remember, he's tied up in chains, and he's shackled with his feet, and he's laying on this hard floor. And the angel said, What's wrong with you, hometown? Get up. I have to wonder if Peter thought, If I could get up, I would get up. It's almost like if I could get out, I would get out. But you don't understand, they got me tied up. They got me shackled down. They got my hands tied up together. But the angel said, Arise up quickly. So Peter, trying to gather himself together, trying to muster up enough strength and enough energy, he picks himself up and he stands. And when he stands up, the chains fall off of his hands. And when he stands up, the shackles fall off of his feet. There is something to be said about standing. Sometimes that's the only option, and that's all we can do. But when you stand, there'll be a strength that will come inside of you. Sometimes all you have to do is stand. One old bishop said, you'll get the tenacity of a bulldog. Just stand, and that's all you got to do is stand, and God will take care of the rest. That's what the apostle did. He just stood. But by the time he got to his feet, and by the time he was upright, the chains were gone and the shackles were gone. And the angel said, follow me. It's time to leave the jail. And almost uh, amazed at what was happening, Peter gets the sandals and puts them all on his feet. And he walks out of the first ward. Then he walks out of the second ward. Then he walks out of the jail. And then he walks right through the front gate. And if you've ever had to visit somebody in jail before, you know it's not easy getting in. Uh, They run background checks and they pat you down and you go through metal detectors and you're asked a hundred questions. But if you thought it was hard getting into jail... Brother, you ought to imagine how hard it is to get out of jail. That's not an easy task. It's not something that can be done on the spur of the moment. But here is Peter, and the guards are down on the floor, and so he just walks out of the ward, and he walks out of the second ward, and He walks past the other guards and goes past the warden's office and walks out of the jail and then walks out the front gate. And To the outsider, it may seem like Peter was by himself walking out, but in reality, the truth of the matter is, Peter didn't just walk out. The church pulled him out. It wasn't Peter's strength. It wasn't because of his name. It wasn't because he just got special favor all of a sudden. No, somewhere there was a church that was calling on the name of the Lord. There was a church that was pulling on him. He's not going to stay in that jail. He's not going to be confined to that prison. He's not going to be restricted to that cell any longer. He won't always be in that. Place. And by the time Peter got out and went to the house of Mary, he went and he knocked on the door. And when he knocked on the door on the inside, they were having a prayer meeting. They were still praying. There is something that moves mountains. There is something that calms storms. There is something that touches the hearts of humanity. There is something that breaks down walls, that warms souls that have grown cold, melts heart that have become hard, and that is the prayer of the church. The prayer of the church can do the impossible. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 7, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open. He said in Matthew 21 and 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And the church got locked in and pulled him out of that jail. Over and over again, we see the church stepping onto the scene and making the impossibility a reality. Even in the life of a man named Saul, who was on the opposite end of the persecution, Saul was the one who held the garments of the stone throwers, who killed the man named Stephen, the follower of the Lord, the deacon of the church. And Saul watched as they took this man's life. But as we fast forward to the future, now it wasn't Saul that was wreaking havoc on the church. Now it wasn't Saul that was destroying congregations or locking people in jail. Now it was Paul that was building churches. It was Paul that was developing ministers. It was Paul that was going to jail for the very crimes he put others in jail for. And now here he is in Acts, the 20th chapter. And we find him preaching to a crowd of people. And he begins to preach. And he keeps preaching. And he keeps preaching. And he keeps preaching. Some of your worst nightmare, the preacher doesn't look at the clock ever. And he just keeps right on preaching. And the Bible tells us there was a young man that was sitting up on the ledge by the window. And he was listening to Paul preach. But the longer the man preached, the heavier his eyes became. Some of you may be dealing with a similar story right now. The longer that he preached, he was trying to keep it together. He was trying to keep his focus. He was trying not to get idle. But all of a sudden, his eyes closed, and he fell asleep. There in a moment, he slid off that ledge and fell three stories up. Boom. Thud. Hit the ground. And when he hit the ground, you could hear it. You could hear the gasp as they let out. You could see it. The tears began to well up in mama's eyes. You could listen to the crying and the weeping. You could sense the fear that had gripped the hearts of the people. How could this be? This young man, Eutychus, has just fallen out and died. And so Paul steps three stories goes down each and every step and he walks over to this lifeless body that's laying on the ground and he begins to stretch himself over this body and he begins to pray says, no, your life is not over just yet. And he began to pray, and would you know he pulled that man back to life. His eyes began to flicker, and the breath came back in his body. And Paul began to holler back at the crowd. He said, no, his life is still in him. And do you know the same holds true for those that fall out of church? It may seem like the final chapter has been written. It may seem like it's the end of the story, but all oh, that's not the end just yet. Even those that fall, even us, when we make mistakes, even when we stumble, even when we do things that we're ashamed and embarrassed of, it's not over Yet, because there's a church that will still pull for you. Uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that the church didn't throw me away when I made my first mistake. I'm thankful the church still believes in me when I made my last mistake. I'm thankful the church sees beyond my faults, my flaws, and my failures. I'm grateful that the church sees potential, possibility, and promise inside of me. Even when it seems like all hope is lost, there's a church that knows how to pull for us. Just like that father whose son had drifted away. Just like that father whose son went wayward and decided there'd be a better life outside of father's house. Yet his daddy was still looking for him. And when he was making a mess out of his life, and when he was ruining his future, and when he was spending his inheritance, he may have thought that his father was condemning him. He may have thought that his father was judging him. But no, the reality is his father was pulling for him. His father was rooting for him to come back home. His father was his best cheerleader. He just didn't know it. His father was pulling for him. Oh, hallelujah. And that is the way the church operates in 2020. The church, they'll have compassion don't let anybody else lie to you. Don't let your conscience mess with your mind and think that the church doesn't want you. That the church doesn't desire you. No. The church is polling for you. The church polls for us. I'm not going to be too much longer. The music's getting ready to come. But I remember I the privilege of youth pastoring for about three years in the inner city Indianapolis and I was always amazed because those that would come to church be individuals that had a lot of problems, a lot of addictions, a lot of troubles. Talking with them, you would think they wouldn't give you the time of day. And I've knocked on some doors and door knocking where they got slammed in your face. And nothing will steal your passion like a door slammed in your face. And it's tough to preach when nobody moves a muscle and nobody's responding and uh, nobody's engaged. But I remember one in particular, this young man named William. We would be in service and I'd watch him out of the corner of my eyes. The Holy Ghost began to move. What I love about the Spirit of the Lord, it goes beyond the hard exterior. And it sees beyond the mask and the facades that we put on. The Holy Ghost sees the tears that we cry, knows the thoughts that we think, knows the pain that we feel. And I'd watch as the Holy Ghost would begin to move in that service, and I watched as William would sit on the very last row, but finally one service, he sat there as long as he could, made his way up to the altar and began to pray. I watched as he repented of his sins and, and the Lord began to forgive him of every sin, of every iniquity, of every mistake, of every error. Oh, when we repent, God forgives everything. He doesn't hold on to something in the back. He doesn't hold on to some skeleton in your closet. He forgives all. And I watched as he would receive forgiveness and there in the altar, he began to be filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues and got to be there when William was baptized in Jesus' name and a transformation had taken place in his life. And finally, William was all in, plugged in. But I noticed he would begin to miss and missing one service turned to two services and Two services turned to three services, and three turned to ten. And Was it long before William wasn't coming anymore at all? Six months would pass, and he'd show up for a service, but then he'd disappear as fast as he ever came. Finally, it had been almost a year and a half since I had seen him. It was a Monday night. I remember William calling me on the phone. When he called me, he said, Brother Doug, I just don't know if I could ever come back. I've done too much. Uh, the things I've done that I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed of, and I don't even know if I can ever forgive myself. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, buddy, let, let's go get something to eat. Let's spend a little time together. I'd love to talk with you for just a few minutes. And so we went and sat down, had a bite to eat. You know, sometimes you just have to lay it all on the line. I said, I tell you what, buddy, you got to make up in your mind, I'm going to live for God. All it takes is one eternal yes, and that will seal the deal. But if it's not an eternal yes, you'll be a man that never fits in. Be the one that you don't have a country that you belong to because you can't feel right going to church but then you know you don't fit in with the world and no matter where you go or what you do you, something is always wrong and so I said you just got to make up in your mind all it takes is prayer and a made up heart that will live for him and finally he said I'm ready I'll pray with you I said well I'll tell you what let's go to church I know it's not a service night but I'll call a couple friends, and we'll pray. So we went to church, and we prayed, and we prayed. I remember sitting on the second pew, and William came and sat beside me and put his arm around my shoulder. He said, Brother Doug, I got the Holy Ghost again. He said, and it's the best feeling. I forget just how wonderful it really is. He said something that really stuck out to me. He said, why do I keep running? from the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's a question that a lot of people need to be asked. Why do you run from the call of God? Why would you want to run from the love that many waters cannot quench? Why would you want to escape a love that loves you when you're unlovable? Why would you want to run away from somebody that cares for you when nobody else cares, that believes in you when you don't believe in yourself? Why would you want to run away from something that feels better than any drug, any pill? Why would you want to get away from something that no man or woman could ever do? Does't matter the big, biggest house, the nicest car, the fanciest degree hanging on your wall that does not substitute for the love of the Holy Ghost. And so we left prayer meeting I dropped him off at his house, and a Tuesday morning came and I called him to tag in, Wednesday night is church. just want to make sure you're coming. He said, "Oh yeah, I got my mind made up. I'm going to be there. I'm not missing church. You can count on me being there Wednesday night. So that day came to an end, and Wednesday morning showed up, and I was at my job, and I looked at my phone, and was getting a phone call from my pastor's wife, and that was out of the ordinary and unique, and so I answered the phone, and the very first thing she said, "Did you hear what happened to William?" Well, I said, "Maybe. What are you talking? What are you referring to?" and She said, well, they found William this morning. He was laying on his couch, and he had died. I said, well, we're probably talking about two different Williams now because uh, I was just with William Monday night, and I talked to him on the phone yesterday. And she said, no, they found him this morning, he's gone, 18 years old. and Come to find out once the autopsy came back, he had cancer and didn't even know it. Seems like now more than ever, we realize the value of life. Life is precious, and death is not a respecter of persons. Death will come for the old, death will come for the young. Death will come for men, it'll come for women. Death will come for little children, and it will come for young people. Death is not a respecter of persons. And I'll never forget I was sitting in the funeral trying to put something together to say, and I thought to myself, William assumed he was a million miles away from God. He had already thought in his mind he could never come back. He had done too much. But he failed to know one thing. There was a church that was pulling for him. See, the church pulls for you even when you're not in the building. The church pulls for you even when you're MIA. The church pulls for you even though it's been years since you darkened the doors. The church, they'll have compassion. The church will even pull you out of the fire. The church will never leave you by yourself. The church will never give up on you. The church is pulling for you. The church is pulling for the saints to succeed. The church is pulling for the young people to be on fire. The church is pulling for the ministers to still have a zeal and a passion. The church is still pulling for its members. The church is still pulling for the community. The church is still pulling for saints, but is still pulling for sinners. The church is pulling for you. I wonder today as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, when nobody looking around, why don't you open your heart and let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you have seen the weeks that have passed. God, you know the questions that we've asked in our mind. God, you know what we have felt in our hearts. You know even the times we may have lost faith, may have lost our focus, and got preoccupied with something trivial that doesn't really matter. But God, I'm praying right now that you would open the windows of heaven. Oh, I feel the love of God right now. Lord, I'm praying that you would open the floodgates and you would pour out a love that many waters cannot quench. God, would you send your love, that love that loves us when we're unlovable, that love that left the hallelujahs of heaven, that love that died on the cross, that love that was buried and overcame the grave, that love that will go a million miles for us. Oh, I pray that love of God would flow right now. Oh, could you stand with me all across the house? I wonder, is there a place you could find to pray? Maybe you want to stand in your seat. Maybe you want to kneel. Maybe you want to find somewhere else. I invite you to spend a few moments in prayer. You may not know it, but there's a church pulling for you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. This is it. You can't duplicate this precious Holy Ghost. Come on. What you're feeling now? Money can't buy. What you're feeling right now? Can't find in a club. Can't find it in a stadium. Can't find it in a ball game. Can't find it in a show, in a movie. What you're feeling right now? Woo, it's the pulling of the Holy Ghost. Ha ha he, la, 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 ba, ba, sa! Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Why don't you open your heart to heaven right now? Woo! Can you feel him? Ha ha. He's pulling for you right now. Jesus, come on. You can reach up. He's as close as the mention of his name. Hallelujah. You can't say nothing else but just say Jesus. He's there. He's there. He's there. Come on, just for a couple minutes. Why don't you pray with us? Come on, why don't you pray with me? Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. Come on, you may be watching this for the very first time. Come on, why don't you pray right now? God still loves you. God still cares for you. God still believes in you. mama mahaya! Come on, it's a refreshing. It's renewing. It's re-energizing. It's restoring. Ah, this love of God.